The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I'd like to talk with you today about the power of Christ's message. Uh, you know, Christianity, true Christianity, it's, it's a set of truths, eternal, unchanging truths. And, and there are facts about it that we will talk about today. But at the end of the day, Christianity is not just a religion that is a set of intellectual beliefs. It's a spiritual reality. And the power of true Christianity is that when we come to God and profess Jesus as our Savior, uh, in that moment, according to Scripture, supernatural things happen. Uh, when we come to Jesus and, and we believe that he actually died on the cross for our sins, that he was actually God, that he rose from the grave. And, and Romans 10 says, when we confess with our mouths that he is Lord and believe that, that he rose from the dead, uh, a spiritual transformation happens. In that moment, we are freed from the chains of sin. Scripture says we are born as slaves to sin. And it's only through the power of Christ that we're freed from that. In that moment, God says we're adopted into his family, adopted out of darkness and into, into light, into the very family of God. And most of us in here who've known Christ, who've walked with Christ, we've seen that from that moment on, life is very different. There's a, a power that is in Christ. That doesn't mean life is perfect, but once we come to Christ in that way and we're set free from sin, we have this power to say no to those old sins that used to enslave us. And as a result, the true message of Christianity, when it's received in our hearts, it, it enables us to be husbands and dads and wives and children that we could never be on our own. It enables us to be employees and students that we could never be in our own strength. Uh, Christ living in us enables us to be honest in a situation where we would normally lie. Enables us uh, where we might normally be controlled by lust to be free from lust, to be free from pride and these other enslaving sins. Uh, we've seen many of us in here, um, God free us from addictions. Many of uh, our body were addicted to alcohol or other drugs and substances. And then you came to Christ and, and after that, there's this power of the cross that has set you free. Uh, so Christianity, yes, it's a set of facts, but they're eternal truths that when we understand properly, when we believe in, they create a spiritual power in our lives. And I want to talk with you about that today because those truths are so important. Uh, if you don't believe those truths, then you don't get to that place of power and, and you don't get to that eternal life that Jesus has. And, and so I, I want to make sure that you guys as a church family, th that you know just that, that basic, basic truth. Because we live in a day and age uh, where I call it information overload. I mean, everywhere you go, there's so much information. And, and a lot of us we're kind of like uh, after Thanksgiving dinner, you know, when you're just stuffed and, and you can't th even think about taking another bite. We're kind of that way with information. Like we're just so full of information everywhere we look, everywhere we go, there's more stuff and we're, we're just full. And so as a result, our appetites are kind of small. Our attention spans 
are kind of small. And, you know, Scripture tells us that our enemy is a deceiver. And, and that, you know, part of what he does is he'll take nine parts truth and one part error and he'll mix it together and he'll say, here you go. In my heart for you as a, as a pastor, Ephesians chapter 4 says this is what pastors are supposed to do. We're supposed to equip the body. My, my call from God is to equip you to live your life in Christ. And part of that is you knowing in a day and age when there's a lot of confusion about who was Jesus, what is the real Christian message? My job is to equip you that you know that. So that two years from now, if you're at college, or two years from now, if you move away to another state, and you go to another church, and, and, and the speaker there you know, tells really great stories, and cites lots of historic references, and talks a lot about following Jesus, you can actually know, is, is this the powerful gospel message of Scripture, or is this just nice words? Well, what does it all boil down to? How do you know the difference? The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians one twenty three. He said, for we preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Your outline puts it this way. The beating heart of true Christianity is belief in Jesus as Savior. In other words, the Messiah, the Christ, and as the one true God, part of the Trinity, which we'll talk about in our message today. Did you guys know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? Did you know that Christ is not like Jesus Smith? There was a Jesus Smith, there was a Jesus McDonald, and then there was a Jesus Christ. That Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title, and it means, it means Messiah. It means Savior. You can't be the Christ without being God. So Jesus is the one true God. Now he's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and we'll get into that mystery a little bit this morning. But, but you cannot leave that part out. If you leave that out, you don't have true salvation and you don't have the true power of God to be free from sin and to have eternal life. He's the one true God who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's what Paul means when he says we preach Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world who is God crucified, who took the payment, the penalty for our sins. And, you know, the, the reality is we live in a society that, you know, at one time uh, was, was fairly Christian. You know, 60 or 70 years ago, uh, the majority of Americans went to Sunday schools and, and prayed in their normal schools. Well, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And we live in a society that is rapidly turning its back on anything that has to do with true Christianity. And as our society turns its back on that, it is, uh, in many segments of it, eagerly embracing any other message, uh, no matter what that message is. And, and so as a result, today, there are a lot of people who talk about Jesus and who, some who even say, well, I'm a Jesus follower. But they don't believe that Jesus was God. They don't believe he died for our sins. And, and they don't believe the scriptures. In fact, if you wanted to put a little comma, where it says one true God, period. You could put comma according to the scriptures. Because why do we believe these things about Jesus? Is it because we feel this way? Is it because some academic just came out with a report that says it? Is it something that's going to change in 20 years? No, we believe these things because God's unchanging word, the scriptures, tell them to us. 
And, and so we believe Jesus is the one true God. We believe he died on the cross for our sins. Why? Because that's what scripture says. And, and what does Paul say even 2,000 years ago in 1 Corinthians 1? Well, it was a stumbling block to the Jews at the time. Because they were looking for a Messiah, but they didn't think it was going to look like Jesus. And folly to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and you know what? It's folly today to the Gentiles. To, to those who don't yet know Christ, this message is foolishness. And the more our culture turns away from Christ, if you faithfully, in grace, in love, simply say, you know, Jesus was the Messiah. He did die for the sins of the world. You will be called a fool at times. You'll be laughed at. You'll be called names. And you know what? That's okay, because Paul was, and Jesus was. And Scripture actually says when that happens to you, you're joining in with the sufferings of Christ. Those who don't yet know Christ, this message sounds foolish to them. But to those of us who know it's the power of God unto salvation, right? It's the power of God to live a radically better life than we ever could have on our own. And it's the power of God we know for eternal life. You guys know with me, you know, things tend to come back to cars a lot of the time. So I was thinking about this, you know, because we live in a really unique time in history. I mean, we're exposed to so much information. And in in our society that values individualism, I mean, everyone's opinion is almost like a different religion now, you know. And And there's this balance, right? Because we want, Jesus says that we're to unite with other true believers. So that's why we have night of worship one or two times a year where we team up with other Bible-believing churches and we all worship Christ together and we acknowledge, hey, you know, we might disagree on a few of these things, but we're all preaching Christ crucified. Let's get together and worship. So, you know, on the one hand, we want to be unified like that with other true believers. But on the other hand, we want to make sure we're unifying with true believers. We don't want to be unifying when Jesus warns us over and over again that as sheep, as a flock, there will be wolves who come in among us. False teachers who tell really great stories and sound really interesting, but in the end, they're there to devour spiritually. They're there to deceive. They're, they're tools of Satan to lead God's people astray and to keep people from the message of power that is in Christ Jesus. So how do we you know, love those who are true Christians uh, without getting caught up in, you know, gathering together with people who aren't? Well, the answer is to know Christ's message. The more you know it, the more you'll be able to, you know, some year from now, if God moves you to uh, Alaska and it's cold and you find this church that's warm, but you go in and, and the preacher says, yeah, Jesus was a good guy, and, but you listen and, and, and it doesn't seem like he believes he's God or it doesn't seem like he believes the scriptures are trustworthy, then you know ah, they're missing a key ingredient. You, you can't take out that Jesus is God. You can't take out the cross. You can't take out the reliability of scripture. So, like I was saying, I relate this back to cars. Because you can modify cars, right? You, can, um, you get an old car, and when you're restoring it, um, you could put a different engine in it, different wheels. You could paint it a different color. As long as it's got four wheels and an engine and a steering wheel and, you know, a few key components, it's still a car, right? 
And, and so, you know, we've got some great Christian brothers and sisters. Some of them are a little more charismatic than we are on some of the gifts. Uh, there's some different denominations that are kind of like cars that are painted different colors, you know. But it's all a car, right? And what I want you guys to be able to know is to be able to spot something that that's just not a car anymore. It might have used to be a car, but now that it only has three wheels on it and doesn't have a steering wheel, it's not a car anymore. And I, I want you to, to be able to spot, yeah, that's true Christianity. They might do some things a little different than I'm used to, but that's true Christianity. And I want you, most importantly, to be able to spot, that's not quite true Christianity. And what does it all come down to? The beating heart of it is that Jesus is the one true God. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. And we know and believe all of this because of the scriptures. Well, let's talk about these two things, Christ and crucified. First, Christ, that Jesus is the one true God. And here's what we start off with. Jesus' role as creator, sustainer, and future ruler set him apart. Those roles set him apart in the Trinity above all other gods. In our text in Isaiah 40 that we'll look at in a moment, the Israelites, God's people, were worshiping false gods. And God's going to say, no, I'm the one true God, and I am over and above all other gods. Well, Jesus, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is that one true God. And I'll talk just a little about the Trinity after we read our text here. Uh, but first of all, do you realize that whether you believe in God or not, you are a worshiper? That, that we are hardwired to worship. We all worship something. For some people, it's their lawn. And I feel really bad for people who worship their lawn. There's just got to be better things to worship, right? But, you know, for others of us, it's our image. It's our children, it's our home. We all worship something. And at this time, God's people were actually worshiping, you know, literal idols that were made out of wood or gold. But you know what God's going to say in here, and I can say to you is, no other God, small g, no other idol that you worship can, can be there for you when you're in the hospital. You know, your lawn's not going to help you out when you're in the hospital. Your house, your retirement account, your, your great image. No other God can comfort you when you're mourning, can provide for you when you're in need, except for the one true God. So here in Isaiah 40, the, this one true God, our God, is going to compare himself to these false gods. Uh, and what we're going to see in Scripture today is this one true God is one and the same with Jesus the Christ. So let's read in Isaiah 40. We're going to read a few verses today, starting in verse 18. God tells us, To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. You know, all the other gods require us to mow them, keep them secure so they don't get stolen, take care of them, pay the taxes on them. All the other gods have needs and we have to take care of them. But the one true God is very different. He says in verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? 
Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. By the way, there was a time when all the smartest people in the world said, people who take the Bible literally are stupid. The earth is not a circle. Hello, it's flat. I mean, there was a time when all the smartest people said the earth was flat. And there's going to be times when our faith in Christ is very out of style. Times when it's in style. I don't know if we're going to see that in our lives. But no matter whether it's in style or not, we believe the word of God. And we stick with it, whether, whether it's popular or not. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to nothing and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God, who is eternal, who's not limited by time, watches kings and dictators come and go like TV commercials. Our lives are so brief, no matter how powerful, how wealthy we are, our lives are just, a, just another little commercial to unchanging eternal God. And so he says, verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? Okay, those were the titles for the people of God at that time. This is for you as a, a, a person of God now. Why do you say, my way is hidden from God? God's not watching my life. My cause is disregarded by God. He's not looking out for me. Do you not know, verse 28, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jesus' role as the creator, the sustainer, and the future ruler sets him apart from all other gods. But, you know, logical Western question. If Jesus is the one true God, then what about the Father that Jesus always prayed to? And what about the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would stay here and live inside of us and empower us to follow him? If Jesus is the one true God, how are there, there are three parts to this one true God? Well, the answer is, is the Trinity. In the Trinity, I'm going to be honest, it's not something that I can fully understand. It's a mystery, but, but it's, a, it's a beautiful mystery. And you can think of it this way. There's no perfect picture for the Trinity, but here's some that might help. The first is, is of an egg. You know, is the yolk egg? Well, yeah. Is, is the egg white egg? Yes. Is the shell egg? Yeah. Okay, so you got one egg but there's three parts to it, right? And it's not a perfect picture, but in the same way, the Father, 
the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they are one true God. I mean, Scripture tells us over and over, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He is one God in three persons. Or you might think of it this way. You know, you're one person, but you have a mind, and you have a body, and you have a soul that will live eternally. You've got three basic parts to you, but they all kind of overlap, right? They overlap, and yet you're one person. And, and that's my favorite picture of it because Scripture says we are created in the image of God. So you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're one being. We don't fully understand it. That's something that we have to take by faith, but we get it from Scripture. We didn't, you know, make it up. If you look at Genesis 1, here's God the Father creating heaven and earth, and we're told that in that moment, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the earth, and now we're about to see a verse that tells us that Jesus was also there at creation. In fact, let's, let's jump to that. Jesus is the one true God who created heaven and earth. How do we know that? Well, John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word. And if you read John chapter 1, the Word is clearly Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Like we talked about, that's the spiritual power, is Jesus down here among us taking the penalty of our sins. I remember in seminary thinking, you know, why is the Trinity so important? You know, uh, and the more I studied it, here's what I realized. The Trinity is, is a fork in the road. And I know some of this sounds kind of academic and some of you guys are tempted to nod off. So, so please bear with me, okay? Because this is really, really important. Um, this fork in the road, whether or not you believe that Jesus is the one true God, Whichever way you go will take you to a radically different destination. Let me give you a few examples. Um, uh, we'll, we'll do Islam first. So Islam, the Muslim religion, came about 600 years after Christ, about 600 A.D., after Jesus. And what Islam said, uh, it, it, the beginning of it is kind of similar to Mormonism. It said, yeah, the Bible, that stuff... It was God's word, but it's been a long time. It's been copied a lot. We can't really trust it. So God's going to talk to a new prophet and give him a new word that we can trust. And that prophet for the Muslims was Muhammad. And the word they could trust was the Quran. And then the Quran ended up superseding everything that was in the Bible because, well, it's more trustworthy. Well, what does the Quran say? It says there's no God but Allah. And so Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus is not God. And that might seem like, oh, that's not that big a difference, but that's a fork in the road. And you follow that fork in the road. Look at human history. Look at the nations. No nation has ever been perfectly Christian or perfectly Muslim or perfectly Buddhist. But a lot of nations have been largely Christian or largely Muslim or largely Buddhist. And look at the countries that decided, okay, as a people, most of us are going to be Buddhists. Okay, as a people, most of us are going to be Muslims. As a people, for a long time in Europe and in the United States, at least in you know, England, Italy, France, uh, most of the people were Christian, had some kind of Christian worldview that Jesus was God. And these nations have the greatest freedoms 
the greatest rights for women's, the greatest uh, freedom from slavery. It took a while to get there, but we got there. Of all nations in history. So, so the forks you take at these roads, whether Jesus was God or not, they matter. It's not just an intellectual thing. And, and the hard thing is more and more our world religion classes in America, whether you take it at a high school or at a college, it tells you, well, all the religions are really pretty much the same. They all believe pretty much the same thing. And the irony about that is if you ask anyone from any of the religions, we'll all tell you, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not the same. They're radically different. One says Jesus is a prophet. One says Jesus is the one true God who died for the sins of the world. Let me give you two more examples of why the Trinity, understanding that Jesus is the one true God with the Father and the Spirit, why this is so important. These are more recent examples from the 1800s. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons both sprang up uh, just in the last couple hundred years. And both of them, uh, this is the fork in the road. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, uh, really, a lot like Islam, Jesus can't be God because there's no God but Jehovah. It, it, they don't understand that, that Jesus, God the Son, is one with the Father. And so very much like the Muslims, they just say, well, uh, he was a prophet, he was a good teacher, but, but he's, not, he's not the one true God. And, and, and you go down one of those forks in the road, and, and what does it lead to? They all lead to a very similar place, but it's not salvation. It's a place of works-based righteousness. Whether you're working your way to Allah or to the Jehovah, the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's all on you to pay more money, do more, work harder, be better. The Christian message of grace through Jesus Christ, that we could never work our way to God, that he loved us and, and gave his life for us is radically different. Okay, let me just, I know you guys are like, what, is this like a college class? What did I sign up for today, okay? But I'm telling you guys, I, I just, you guys have got to know this stuff out there in this crazy world, wherever you go. Jesus is the one true God who died for the sins of the world, according to the scriptures. You can't give up any of those three ingredients. So what do the Mormons believe? Because they call themselves Christians, um, and I think they mean well. I think they think they are, but they're, they're not theologically, okay? Because what the Mormons believe is that Jesus was a God, not the one true God, but a God. So God the Father's a God, Jesus is a God, Lucifer's a God, he's a bad God, but he's a God. Michael the angel's a God. You too can become a God if you work hard enough and do enough stuff. So, so they'll say, yeah, Jesus was the savior of the world because this is his little kingdom that he's the God of, but he's serving the bigger God. It's like a spiritual pyramid scheme. Okay, there's all these little gods, and if you you know sell enough products, you can become a god too. And, and, and I mean, these are sincere people, and we love them, and we want them to know the truth. But you need to know the truth that it is not the same Christianity we believe, because they don't believe that Jesus is the one true God who died for the sins of the world, according to the Scripture. And, and a good example is verse one of John chapter one. If you talk with a Jehovah's Witness, they're going to have their own translation of the Bible, and it's not going to have, and the word was God. It's just not going to be there, because they don't believe that. So never mind that it's there in thousands of ancient Greek manuscripts. They don't believe it, so they don't put it in there. And if you talk to a Mormon friend or neighbor who you love dearly and are praying for, they're going to say the word was a God. But the word a is also not in there. The word was God. 
Jesus, who, yes, he's our savior. Uh, yes, he's near and he's tender. He's also the creator of the heavens and the earth. In case there's any question about it, let's look at our next point. Jesus is the one true God who also sustains and holds all things together. Not only did he create it, he holds it together. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 17. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, that's, that's the stumbling block for our Mormon friends. They say, well, see, it says right there he's the firstborn. So God's got all these kids, like Lucifer and Jesus are brothers, but Jesus is the oldest. Well, well you, first of all, we'll, we'll look at the next sentence, which is going to explain what's going on. But secondly, you got to understand uh, in first century ancient Near East, especially in a Jewish culture, firstborn is a way of saying first place, in charge. Uh, the firstborn, it's, we'd say it's not fair by today's standards. The firstborn got the biggest part of the inheritance, was in charge of the estate. So, so he is the image of the invisible God, not of an invisible God, but the. And he's the first place of all creation. Now, does that mean he was the first one created? Well, let's just read the next sentence. For by him all things were created. Okay. He wasn't the first one created. He's the one who made everything in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the, what is it that holds atoms together that when they can split it, it creates this huge atomic reaction? Jesus holds all things together. He spoke it all into existence. He sustains it. He holds the solar systems in place. And by the way, he holds you together when you feel like your life is falling apart. He's a God that you can cry out to, and he holds you together, just like he holds atoms and molecules together. Jesus is creator. He's sustainer. Third, Jesus is the one true God who will return to banish evil and be worshiped by all. Well, it takes some faith to believe, right? Remember how um, after Jesus rose from the grave, Thomas, one of the disciples, said, I, you know, I'm not going to believe it until I put my hand in the, you know, the holes where the nails were. And Jesus comes to him and says, here, you know, have a touch. And then Jesus says, you know, Thomas, good for you. You believed in me now that you've seen me risen from the dead. But blessed are those who will believe without ever seeing. And that's you and that's me. Scripture says that we walk by faith, not by sight. We haven't yet seen Jesus as the ruler, as the returning king. But we believe by faith that he is. It's not an irrational faith. It's a faith that lines up with history. And yet there comes a point where it is faith. And you have to say, okay, this isn't irrational. This makes sense with history. But to really believe there's an almighty God who loves me and died for me and is going to return to set everything right, at some point it does become Faith, to say, yes, I believe that. I trust in that. For those of us who do believe that, what's eternity going to be like? Well, Revelation chapter 5 gives us a little peek, and it tells us this. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. So this pretty much covers everyone and everything. Saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, be blessing and honor and glory and might 
forever and ever. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 with God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating. And the Bible ends in Revelation with a human race that was lost in sin, all kneeling down and worshiping this one true God. And for all of us who trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we'll be worshiping him from the comfort and convenience uh, of heaven as opposed to being separated from him. Okay, so, so that's an overview of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one true God. I don't know if any of you have ever flown in a small plane over a city, or I guess even in a big plane. I remember in high school, my best friend, he's now a pilot for American, and he was getting his private pilot's license. So he took me up over the city I grew up in, Midland, Michigan. And I remember seeing it, this aerial view, you know, there's the chemical plant over there spewing out all the toxins. There's the farms over there, kind of close, anyhow. And, and there's the neighborhoods, you know, and I got this aerial view. Oh, I'd never seen the city like that before. And, and today I'm trying to give you an aerial view, okay, of Jesus is the one true God. And now I want to give you an aerial view who died on the cross for your sins, who's the savior of the world. Here's the first, well, here's an overview of that. Jesus self-sacrifice, patience, and forgiveness set him apart from every other so-called God. You know, what's great about being a literate society is you can read the Quran if you want. You can read the Book of Mormon if you want. You can uh, read whatever. There is no God who sacrifices himself so lovingly and so willingly and so patiently as Jesus Christ. Allah is not like that. He's a different kind of temperament. Buddha's not like that. This is a, he is set apart from all other gods. First, in the fact that he is the one true God. And to be clear, he's the only real God. Every other God is a, a false God. It's either something we've made up or it's something that's demonic. He's the one true God, and yet he's so loving, he's so patient, he's so forgiving to us. First, Jesus paid the penalty for our mistakes. We just see this threaded all through Scripture. I, I skipped over it, but in Isaiah 40, that's how the chapter starts off. Remember, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sins are forgiven. This is God's nature. God's nature doesn't change. Cultures are going to change Humans are going to change God's nature as a God who's perfect and loving, who's Father, Son, and Spirit in one, isn't ever going to change. And here's the kind of God he is. He paid the penalty for our mistakes. Romans 5, 8 tells us God demonstrates his love in this. How did God prove his love? It's one thing for him to say he loves you. How did he prove it? In that while we were sinners, while we were chained in sin, in the darkness, with our backs turned towards God, Christ died for us. The Messiah God came down, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Can an idol love you? Can, can another God pay the price for your mistakes? No. Not only did Jesus die for us next, Jesus cares for the weak. His care for the weak sets him apart. These other gods, you know, and I mean that with a small g, these other world religions, the so-called gods that they worship, are like dictators at the top of a pyramid, and you've just 
you got to crawl up there on your skinned hands and knees and you got to work harder and harder to get to them. And then here's Jesus, the, the actual one true God who humbles himself, takes upon him the form of a man, comes down among us, takes the penalty for our sin, and he's a God who cares for the weak. This is a thread that runs all through Scripture. And in Isaiah 40, we're told he gives power to the weak. Even young men, young people stumble and fall and get exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Do you know that your almighty God, Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he wants to give you strength where you're weak right now in your life. Finally, Jesus sees and feels your hurts, and ultimately, he's going to heal your hurts. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that Jesus, he knows what it feels like to be human. He knows what it's like to be tempted. Because he walked among us as an undisputed historic fact, he knows what it is to be called names. He knows what it is to get cut. He knows what it is to be tired and to be hungry. He feels our pains. And Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us the day is coming when he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is our Jesus. He's not just an ancient teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's the one true God who died for the sins of the world according to the scriptures. Uh, and, you know, as we close in prayer today, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If maybe you've thought before, yeah, Jesus is neat, or I, I'm trying to follow Jesus, you're not going to have the strength to follow him until you profess him as Lord and he frees you from sin. Then you're going to be able to follow him. So if you don't know for sure today that you've placed your trust in him, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now as we close in prayer. Would you pray together with me? Father, Lord, our, our, our brains are pretty small, at least mine is. And Lord, when I look at the, the planets, solar systems, just our one galaxy, let alone the other hundred billion galaxies, I realize that I'm, I'm pretty small. We're pretty small. Like our text said today, we're, we're grasshoppers to you. So Lord, we know in, in these little brains we have, we're not going to be able to understand everything about you. But you love us so much that you revealed yourself to us in your word. And Lord, we thank you for your word. That whether it's in style or out of style, it is eternally true, has been true for thousands of years. That we can build our families, our businesses, most importantly, our eternal life on the rock of your word. And Lord, we thank you for showing us in your word that you are an almighty God, that there is one God. And Jesus, we thank you that you, along with the Father and the Spirit, you are that one God. And you don't need to love us. You don't have to love us. You could just start over with the way we've infected this planet with evil and brokenness. You could just breathe and we'd be gone if you wanted but lord you came down to save us so father for all of us in here today 
we confess to you, maybe some for the first time, and many of us are just affirming this belief that defines our life, but maybe someone here is praying this for the first time. Jesus, we believe that you are Lord, that you are Master. You are the one true God. We believe you died on the cross for our sins. We believe you rose from the grave. We believe the day is coming when you will defeat death and sin, when there will be no evil. And so right now, Jesus, we ask your complete forgiveness, your work on the cross, that it would be applied to all of our sins, all of our mistakes. We thank you for the promise in your word that the moment we believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our sins, we will be saved. Lord, let us be a people who, who know that message so well and, and that we would speak that message with love and with grace, and that our lives would show the power of that message, that we'd be different husbands, different dads, different men and women and students and employees because we've been set free from sin because we have an eternal hope in you. So Jesus, be our Savior, be our Lord, and thank you that you're also our friend and our comforter. Thank you for loving us so much. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.